0: From Bottomline Technologies.
1: Fraud still exists, so how are organisations able to step up and take action? Hi, I'm Rich Williams, the host of the Payments Podcast, and today our podcast is going to be slightly different to normal. We'll be sharing the Strategic Treasurer hosted podcast with Craig Jeffrey, featuring Bottomline's own Chris Gerda, Risk and Fraud Prevention Officer, and James Richardson, Head of Market Development. The three of them will not only go over the results of the report, but we'll explain how to prevent fraud within your organization.
0: Welcome to the Treasury Update podcast presented by Strategic Treasurer, your source for interesting Treasury news, analysis and insights in your car, at the gym or wherever you decide to tune in. In 2019, treasurers are feeling more secure and able to defend their organizations against fraud. But fraud still exists. On this episode of the podcast... Craig Jeffrey sits down with Chris Gerda, Risk and Fraud Prevention Officer, and James Richardson, Head of Market Development, Risk and Fraud of Bottomline Technologies, to discuss the 2019 Treasury Fraud and Control Survey results. They describe how making and receiving secure payments should and should not look, along with other ways some need to step up and take action to prevent fraudulent behavior occurring in their organization. Listen into the discussion.
1: Welcome to the Treasury Update Podcast. I'm Craig Jeffrey. I'm here with James Richardson and Christopher Goethe from Bottomline Technologies. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having us.
1: Just by way of an introduction to both of them, James Richardson is the head of market development, and Christopher Goethe is a risk and fraud prevention officer. Bottomline is a 300 million turnover company, a global firm. Their headquarters is in New Hampshire. In the U.S., they have products on banking, payments, financial messaging, cyber fraud and risk management, document management, and legal spend. The annual survey, the Treasury Fraud and Control Survey, is in its fourth year, and Bottom Line has been the underwriter, and the entire industry benefits from this research. So thank you to Bottom Line and to Chris and James. There are about 275 respondents globally to this survey, which is quite lengthy and there's information for downloading the report and downloading the infographics on our respective websites and on the podcast site, so you can pull that information down. Let me begin with a theme or a summary of some of the the key points that came out of this year's survey. Clearly, the fraud picture is serious, but not as bleak as in the past. Uh, When we look at the multiple-year context of persistent, automated, and multi-pronged attackers that are getting huge financial gains from this. This is a serious situation. Uh, This year, the survey helped us to better understand what's happening to corporate defenses. How are we better prepared? How has the increased level of spend impacted confidence? Is spend continuing? And what is happening with the attacks and losses? And what should we do about those? So where have defenses improved the most and what gaps most need filling? So this uh, survey provided a lot of insight on that and we'll talk about that right now. So James and Chris, corporations, uh, treasury groups, payment groups are feeling more confident. This is, has this is changed. Why is this and how has this happened?
2: I think that's a, that's a great question. You know, Over time, if you think about maybe the last decade, you know, change is very slow when you're talking about an entire industry. Uh, And technology has moved very quickly in the last decade. So all of a sudden you have fraud hats really set upon the heads, willingly or unwillingly, on treasury and accounting professionals at a very fast pace. So not just one person in a department, but really everyone having to be responsible to block intercept fraud and quickly having to understand what questions to ask. What happens in a cyber attack? Why am I receiving social engineering phone calls and handling suspicious emails? And I think what happened is we finally caught up. Now we're proactively training. We're really recognizing that fraud is part of the day-to-day and that when we adopt new technologies and payment systems, we're asking the questions of what kind of impacts are we going to have that we'll have to pivot to from a security perspective proactively rather than reactively. And I think also you see a lot of young professionals entering the workplace that were brought up and educated in the digital age. So they're very keen and savvy to those digital threats, and their, their confidence in dealing with them is very high from the outset. James, what, uh, what
1: are you seeing and what are you uh, thinking about the level of confidence? Are there other factors besides the tech savvy and kind of where we are in the process that is influencing this confidence?
3: I think, I think those a great point in addition to that the awareness is definitely improved and that's largely in thanks to the industry making a bigger deal of communicating more effectively about what to do simple steps to secure the payments for an organization you know rewind 5 years ago would people in, in the company really understand some of the terminology we talk about today, like business email compromise, you come through to today. And actually, I think most people do. I think that there's a greater cultural shift within organizations that make it okay to challenge and to check. And and part of that is, I guess, in recognition that The money doesn't belong to an individual, right? It it belongs to the company and therefore everyone has a right to check that who we're paying is in fact who we're expecting to pay. I think the the education is working. Is there more to do? Absolutely. And that will continue to be the case. This is an organic subject matter. And you know, the danger would be perhaps that organizations rest on their laurels, that they, they're feeling a little bit better about what fraud looks like in 2018, coming into 2019, does that mean that they're well prepared to deal with the threats for the next few
1: years? I think that's a, that's a good question. Is everybody well prepared to deal with the threats over time, especially considering the fact that the conflict, the, the criminals are sophisticated? They're patient. They tend to add attack methods, not just move from one to another. That creates a, uh, a situation where the playing field continues to change. People are feeling more confident. I know one of the elements, uh, as we've looked at this survey over four years, the spend levels have been elevated. People have spent more on cyber fraud and, and some of the different areas of protecting themselves. and that seems to contribute to some of the confidence in addition to education being more aware of and the industry activity. Is this a case of the spend is making no one lose sleep? What would you say to that? Is that we're, we're really comfortable in a good position? Or how would you, how would you respond to these feelings of, of greater confidence?
2: I think, th- I think really, Greg, that the, the spend helps people prepare instead of losing sleep worrying about how many holes there are in their procedures their their processes or their technology where fraudulent attempt could seep in they're actually going to sleep thinking more proactively on how can i be more secure because i have i have a good technology budget to back up the security perspectives that i need to fit my particular business and i think really the stats from the survey also show that a lot of corporates are worried about their partners being hacked. That really shows the interconnectivity and the camaraderie that's needed for business professionals. We're leaning on one another and we're not secure unless we're secure together. So now when we we shake our hands and, and do a deal, we're also exchanging data security procedures, defining how we're going to interact with the other party in a secure manner. It's really a beautiful thing that that's become part of and I think James said it perfectly. The the culture of the organizations have changed. So I think they're still staying up at night, but I think they're staying up at night thinking, hey, how can I stop the fraudster? Uh not worrying about the fraudsters already being there.
3: And that's 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 a great point. There's a couple of things perhaps to to consider. Was the concern and the worry that you were going to be defrauded years ago and actually that morphed into okay well, now I just want to make sure I don't get defrauded as best I possibly can. Maybe that shifts into, you know what, the payment landscape is changing. And now you've got the increase in immediate payments, which are irrevocable. So once they go, they go. You can't get it back. Chris mentioned about the need to be proactive. There's perhaps an argument that says, are some of these defences still reactive? And I guess that keeps in, keeps in line with my comment earlier about um, you know, thinking of the threats ahead. If I had a budget of $500,000, if I spent that $500,000 on pure education for my business of what to do in the event that they see an email, well, that's cool for that particular um, threat, but it doesn't stop the issue of dealing with new fraud types. It doesn't recover my funds before it's too late. Um, in the event that something got through the gap, and I think this is where, I guess this ties into the need to look at, you know, what are the right defences for the future state where organisations sitting right now, because fraud's always been like a balloon, right? You know, you kind of squeeze it in one area, and you're just going to put pressure on another area. The fraudsters are going to attack the weakest links in the chain, always like so that's never going to be a surprise and it never should be so it's important that if you're in that laggard if you're feeling like you're getting left behind it's like a compounded issue it gets your risks are actually exponentially higher if you haven't dealt with it with the rest of your peer group so i would worry about the you know the losing sleep thing the thing that would perhaps encourage me to lose sleep is worrying that i'm not keeping up with what other people are doing and feeling like I'm, am I, am I getting left behind because then you're, you're going to be even more exposed.
1: I, I like that. The, uh, that element of the risk level and the threats are changing. So you have to keep up if you're set for right now, things are tightened down. That doesn't necessarily mean you're protected for the future. So it's an ongoing defense
3: absolutely right. Chris mentioned about being proactive, and it's never a truer word. That is so important in today's payment climate. We're seeing across Europe, across different areas of Asia, the US as well, this kind of growing trend in immediate payments. And organisations used to rely on having pretty solid defences of dealing with picking up fraudulent payments when they had a week to pay and or a week before the money was settled. And that window of time is now getting dramatically reduced. That's a reactive approach. A proactive approach, as Chris mentioned, is about identifying things before it's become an issue, before the money leaves the business. That's going to become even more important in 2019
1: and for the next few years for sure. Yeah, identifying the uh, issue before there's the possibility of an irrevocable transfer, and then they can get money out of the organization. Uh, you know, one of the interesting elements from the survey we we ask about everything from the social engineering, like business email compromise, to system level fraud, and obviously there's some questions in there about check fraud. Checks uh, are not heavily used in a lot of countries, but most of the respondents have operations in the U.S. For example, we feel. Uh, beholden to paper. I don't want to spend much time on that. Obviously, the attacks on checks continue. The defenses have been there for a long time. People need to do those. I don't think it's worth spending too much time other than to say when new fronts emerge, the criminals that are trying to commit fraud in different ways don't drop the other elements. And the fact that they're using automated methods of trying to explore these weaknesses, they're continually probing means there's some challenges. But we see losses generally holding steady over the past several years. The last year, the extra spending seems to have been helping, and yet the battle is not uh, decided or stable. There's, there's new attacks. But uh, I'd like to ask you, where are we seeing persistent attacks and threats from the survey data and from your experiences? And why why is that?
2: The enemy of proactivity is complacency. They're constantly going to persist to try to find what fraud loves. And fraud loves the 1% scenario, the, the small hole in your defenses where it slips through. And being persistent will eventually find that, that small hole. And I also think that a lot of the reason for the persistency is the cross-border nature of a lot of the threats. It's hard for law enforcement investigative authorities to cross borders. So repercussions for behavior have not caught up to the levels of behavior. So criminal organizations are are functioning like businesses. Those exist, and they're going to always be a threat because of that. And they're constantly thinking just like we are. They're having meetings on how to get past the threat prevention efforts that we came up with in our meeting and recognizing that is really important that's what's i think really given rise to uh, the entire really industry of digital identity and all of the things that we now have to do as far as downstream thinking even in our policies
3: i agree completely with that fraudsters thinking like a business owner i mean where was that statement 10 years ago but that is very much what is going on right now (laughs) There's definitely meetings going on. Um, it's highly organized. They're marketing campaigns. They will have marketing campaigns that will be clickbait for us to kind of respond to and see if anyone comes back and says, "Oh yeah, I think uh, that, that you know there's something of interest in what you've sent." Well, straight away you're into their nurture program, right? It's just like any other business. They're going to be using LinkedIn to find out who your CFO is, who's running your treasury department, who your CEO is. They're going to be checking out Facebook and seeing when those when those individuals are on holiday. They're going to be using that whole social media platform to galvanize as much information as possible and come out with highly tailored, highly sophisticated and customized responses to break your defenses of your organization. There is no doubt about that. And we see... Um, Highly lucrative attempts by fraudsters that break the media, break the news headlines. You know, like the Bangladesh bank heist. The attempt was a billion dollars. They only, only, in inverted commas, managed to get away with eighty-one million dollars. They're just such significant sums of money that they're beyond our comprehension. And the danger, actually, is because they are so highly sophisticated and customized. These fraudsters are thinking, how do we get into that organization? They know the weakest link. They're in. They're taking over how the printers react to generating confirmation reports for um, for payment transmissions. They're creating new users in a system and then using those users to make payments. Then they're deleting those users, and all those things happen and if you if your layer of defense is looking at a report that comes out at the end of a day to say who you think you paid you are way behind the times my friend that is definitely a uh, a a danger um so i i completely agree with chris that there is marketing meetings taking place in the in the forest as well it is a true enterprise um but there is a there's a slight there's, there's another comment i will make actually which is it's quite easy to get distracted with the really sensational news stories and think, wow, that's really out there. Nothing like that is ever going to happen to me. And what, what doesn't break the news is the more what I would call boring frauds or the fraud attempts that are generally successful and they will be right underneath that threshold of interest of value to your organization. If your organisation doesn't really care about organisation about uh, paying invoices under five hundred dollars, you've just got this threshold that says, "All right, it's not worth our time to investigate it." The fraudsters will know and understand that and exploit it. It's those things, um, it's the boring frauds as well as the super sensational stories that we've got to watch out for.
1: So there's more things to. Uh... Uh, to stay awake from. I, I thought the uh, the feeling of more confidence that's come about, coupled with what you've just said, uh, maybe means the level of defense has to step up significantly. I, I liked your point that both of you made, that they're thinking like a business. Just this weekend, I was reading an article about some of the uh, dark websites for criminal uh, fraud, cyber fraud, have set standards for. You know, they give provide service level agreements. They have customer support to help uh, criminals be more successful. So they're acting more like a business uh, every day. That is uh, quite scary. Yeah, these these attacks are persistent. They're they're ongoing. They're netting a lot more money, which is allowing them to be you know persistent and and find holes and explore them. So maybe maybe we could just shift a bit to. We'll start with you this time, James. Uh, If we think about what does good and bad look like for cyber fraud defenses, payment, uh, security, maybe you could tell us what bad looks like and what does good look like. And we'll start with you, James.
3: Let's think of bad. So bad is after the event, right? Bad is everything's happened and I'm going to get a report to tell me what I've done wrong. That is um no way good enough for twenty nineteen. So if if that is the way in which the operation runs today, then I, I would kind of I would apply some urgency to um think about how that could be modified. Bad looks like one person involved in an entire process. Bad looks like open, unencrypted payment data just you know being transferred not just across systems, but across the internet. And let me just explain what I mean by that. We're in a new cloud world where treasury management systems, where payment gateways, payment solutions, ERPs, these are hosted, these are cloud-based environments. And um, you would be surprised actually, how many organizations still will manually upload unencrypted payment data into different um, you know different parts of their process. So the tech has started to shift on quite quick, but the processes that sit behind it are still thinking like it's 2003. I think that's those are some of the challenges that organizations need to face and step up to. So that for me is kind of what bad looks like. what what good looks like, it'd be easy for me to just say the opposite, but let me just explain what I'd mean by some of those statements. What good looks like in today's world is encrypted data, just that's table stakes. Get that stuff encrypted, and it just solves a headache straight away. Having clear segregation of duty, so you've got a very nice and clean audited process that says that Jane did one thing and John did something else, and you're confident that that covers um, your, your process um, to the extent that satisfies your audit and your controls. The big advances actually have been in the technology. So we talked at the very early start of this that education is actually going pretty well across industry, and I'll definitely stand by that comment from earlier. I think the technology has advanced quite a bit in the last few years, and perhaps it's still relatively unknown as to how it can help a corporate or a bank or, you know, any organization. Um, things like um, the automatic checking of all transactions before they get paid and telling you when something looks out of the ordinary, that's something that wasn't really around, you know, five years ago in a uh, kind of, you know, a well kind of packaged setup. That stuff exists today. And, you know, the leaders of, of, of in the corporates that are fighting Cyber fraud, they're embracing some of that tech. They're layering it into their people processing technology um, environment. They're thinking about that in their defenses. And that certainly came through in some of the reports that we saw. There's a growing interest in things like behavioral analysis, in looking at what people are doing on systems, um, in looking at the transactions that are ultimately going to lead in a payment. So, Hopefully, there's some good examples there about what, what, you know, in, what, in quotes, bad looks like. But equally, some really good examples, hopefully, of what good looks like that, that are then available in the market for people to, to start thinking about.
1: Thanks, James. Chris, what, what do you have to uh, add to the, the good and the bad look for security in the corporate domain?
2: Yeah, I think I think James gave a really great landscape picture, just spot on. Sometimes it it's the simple things, right? It's are you doing just email transactions and communications for something that's really critical, and when should you step that up to a, a more of a multi-factor type of authentication? That might be just picking up and using a verbal verification, and then where does multi-factor authentication exist on your your bank accounts? and your employee verifications so that you know who people are and and what they're accessing and do they have access to that to prevent simple things, even shared credentials, but also from your employees that may fall victim to one of those clickbait emails and give out their credentials without the simple multi-factor authentications placed there, Uh, you're really just opening yourself up. So it's kind of like defense in depth. Another thing that's kind of bad Uh, Not having an audit trail, you know, James talked about behavioral analytics, and when you you implement those types of new technologies, you're you're tying what could be an insider committing uh, some embezzlement activity to the trail of money that they're moving around. So that's really a useful thing to have at your fingertips, both to analyze what happened, but also uh, where there's one, there's more. Uh, to to identify additional exposure. I think finally, really, uh, one of the big ones for me that falls in the bad category is uh, not having an outlet for your employees to express their gut feelings about a transaction or an interaction. So some sort of formalized and responsive incident management system is really, that's a good thing to have. So it gives people the ability to escalate and know that their voices are going to be heard. The experts are on the ground. They just need to make sure that they have an outlet to give those gut feelings and raise them up the chain so that they're not pressured. Uh, They don't have to worry. And it's really easy to get two sets of eyes on something when you have that kind of process put put in place. I think, that's, I think that's a really,
1: really good point about the ability to for anybody to stop a payment or to uh, question something going on. And it doesn't have to be obvious, just like the business email compromise of, I'll call it, uh, you know, 10 years ago where they're trying to uh, do some sort of social engineering and the, the language was uh, very rudimentary, uh, poorly written. Nobody even viewed it as a threat. Well, now the business email compromise is is perfect, all near perfect. It has uh, phrases, history trails of emails if someone's compromised or it's using the exact same language that occurs internally, and it doesn't appear on the face to be a problem. And yet sometimes for whatever reason you're picking it up, I don't want to call it spidey sense, but someone is identifying and says, this isn't right. I don't know why, and I need to be able to identify that. And I think that's where we've gotten from. We viewed it as a, a very poor threat in the beginning to now it's very sophisticated, and people may not be able to identify why immediately, why it's a threat, and then they need to respond. And your your method of making sure that people can identify these things seems excellent. So are there other are there other gaps in what you're seeing out there given you know, the environment of people needing to be upgraded, uh, the systems need to be upgraded, the threat is more persistent and morphs over time. Are there any other gaps that are, are, are sitting out there uh, in addition to what you guys have listed already?
2: I think there's a lot of uh, maybe unknown gaps. So we talked a little bit about technology uh, as, as a solution provider here. So I think there's, there's really been a good development by fintech companies and even the banking industry thinking innovatively about, what can we do to prevent this? Are we using all the information that's at our fingertips to prevent fraud? So what's the right blend? So you have a lot of different providers out there, uh, device fingerprinting, biometrics, um, And you have the ability to to reach out to these companies and do your research, do a trial and error session with them. Uh, It's become a very competitive marketplace, which has been great because it's drove innovative, unique solutions to to be put out there in the corporate world so that they can find what what best protects their business. Uh, I think that's a, a great way that you can start talking to partners and then wondering, Wow, we had a gap there, and we didn't even realize it. And these people were actually solving for it. Uh, And then you have machine learning coming along, right right behind that, trailing it up. And it's going to show us things that we haven't haven't seen before in the patterns of activity. So it's going to add to that behavioral analytics piece. But to drive machine learning, you need data. And so as much data as you could get about when you're interacting with a customer or interacting with your own employee, then you can start building the behaviors that helps a machine learn what's normal, and what's not normal. And we might see some new red flags that we never thought of before helping us out. As we talk about technology and innovation and the industry changing, we should always keep in mind the fallback plan as well. It's, all, it's often a gap. You could get a great new technology provider, but what happens if that technology breaks down? What's the plan after that? So you should work through that internally, and you should work through that with partners as well. Uh, as we become so heavily reliant on a single solution, uh, we should always wonder: Do we have all our eggs in one basket? How can we diversify? Uh, and what does a breakdown look like to us from a payments perspective, from a monitoring perspective? And are we exposed during that time frame? And what we would what would we do in that scenario? So. There's so many questions that we have have to ask early on before implementing something new. And just the recognition of those and and asking them at the appropriate time before you're too far downstream is really important. Thank you. Thank you, James and Chris. I appreciate you talking through these
1: ideas and for bottom line for sponsoring the fourth annual Treasury Fraud and Control Survey.
2: Craig, thanks for having me. And uh, remember everyone, Keep following your gut in, in a world of faster payments. Don't be afraid to slow a few down for security's sake. You've reached the end of another episode of the Treasury Update podcast. Be sure to follow Strategic Treasurer on LinkedIn. Just search for Strategic Treasurer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and statements made by Strategic Treasurer LLC on this podcast are not intended as legal, business, consulting, or tax advice. For more information, visit and bookmark strategictreasurer.com.
0: podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.